Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. There we go. It is Tuesday, September 24th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Duke-Masseville, will join us. And we welcome 15th Ward Alderman, Ray Lopez. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this, oh, poor baby Tuesday. And here's why. Here's why I'm calling it that, D. All right. So this morning I called Maya to say, hey, Maya, we're going to be running a little late because I got to do this speech at UIC. And I started complaining. You could tell, you know, D, it was in my voice. I was complaining about it. And Maya, her immediate reaction, not even a break. Oh, poor baby. You got a job. Because you were were like complaining about how you got to go to UIC and talk to these people. And it's like, wow. Yeah. Sucks for you to be like loved and admired. And invited places and get paid for it. Well, anyway, what a hard life, Ben. I know, I, and I have to say that it was really great. Uh, it was a, a room filled with uh, very smart people who are interested in Chicago politics. I told them this. Your stand, favorite, my favorite, and uh, Dick Simpson was there, a legend in Chicago politics, former alderman from the Forty Fourth Ward, now a professor at uh, UIC. So we were talking Chicago politics, and so a thanks to Professor Alba Alexander, her Alexander, the uh, political science professor who invited me to come and that's why we're starting the show a little late today but yeah that was the first thing Maya oh poor baby <laughs> I've been quoting her ever you got to know this Maya all day long I've been going up to people oh poor baby <laughs> what I didn't say anything I, why are you saying oh poor baby Anyway, so that's why I'm late. A great crowd there, a lot of good discussion. And by the way, I was at the personal pack luncheon yesterday. That was, f- I know we're going to talk Look about Look at you, getting I know, out man. into the world. Maya, man, I don't usually go anywhere. I went to like <laughs> two things in two days. You, you know me. You, and before we go to the news with Dr. D, uh, Maya and I will take in our show on the road. We're going to do um, uh, a set on October 10th at Sidetrack. Yep. We're going to be, this is going to be ahead of the um, town hall with the Democratic presidential candidates um, on LGBTQ issues. And so the event will be at Sidetrack. We'll have uh, guests from the LGBTQ advocacy community talking with us. Um, it'll start at five, doors open at 5 p.m. We're going to be, um, yeah, discussing a lot of interesting things starting about 5.30. We'll go for about an hour or so, and then um, the whole thing will turn into a watch party for the town hall, so people should should stop by come yeah. through uh and if anybody's and it'll be free you know it's, it's like just you pay for your drinks at the bar but the uh, there's no entry wait so free as an f-r-e-e yeah they don't have to pay to get into see us talk okay d you know what that means when it's free 
What's that? You don't have to pay. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you. I felt smart waking up today. Not anymore. F-R-E-E. It's a lot of fun. Amaya and I have done this a couple of times. We've done it, right? Am I getting it right? We've done it three times publicly? Uh, Yeah, two or three times. It's a lot of fun. It's... The, you all seem to be enjoying yourselves when we do it, so we're doing it some more. Yeah, no, it's a lot. Of, I, I have fun. I think Maya has fun, uh, and so yeah, October 10th, and we'll be uh, promoting it as time goes on. And I'm trying to get Tracy Bame, the um, publisher, the reader, to come in and talk about it as well. Um, and uh, so anyway, we'll be promoting it even more as time goes on. So uh, that's what Maya and I have ahead of us. Uh, let's not waste any more time. Well, we got Raylo coming in now. Let's... I let's, just got a text from Raylo. Sell that Raylo Alderman Ray Lopez, the pride and joy of the 15th Ward, one of the few aldermen who is willing just to stand up and be a voice of opposition to Lori Lightfoot. Uh, very interesting how this has developed. He should be here. He just An sent me a text. interesting new position for him, too. Yes, it is. As, as a voice of opposition to anything. That is uh, correct. <laughs> uh, and uh, he, he's found his uh, voice of opposition. I welcome a voice of opposition pretty much any time. Uh, I, I wasn't as welcoming, let's say, in the 1983 when all the white guys got together to be voices of opposition to Harold Washington. Mm-hmm. Though the principal, my of voices of opposition is a good one. Won't you agree with that? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. if it's based on just like blind racial hatred, mm, that's such a good idea. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'd be really curious. And I'm inv- I've invited Maya to stick around and uh, join in the conversation if she wants. Uh, if she has something more pressing to do, we cannot lock that door and keep her from leaving. But uh, she's more than welcome to join us. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation with Raylo. We'll talk about budgets. We'll talk about the quorum in the city council. We talk about dealing with Mayor Rahm as opposed to Mayor Light foot talk about what he thinks about property taxes coming up i mean all kinds of things to talk about uh when i said that to him he also texted me back vaping let's talk about vaping i said sure we'll talk about vaping i could talk about reefer in the loop oh my god i could talk about that forever get his thoughts on that get maya's thoughts on that uh this obsession mayor lightfoot has about keeping marijuana shops out of the downtown district i'm not quite fathoming it uh what that's all about and you know maybe some teacher strike talk whatever lots to talk about with alderman Ray Lopez, and that's ahead of us. But before we do any of that, the doctor with the news. Hey guys, how's it going? I'm Dennis. Never been a doctor in my life. Before we do the news, let's uh, check out the YouTube live stream chat. A lot of people are happy to see you, Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brianna weighs in. Hey, UIC, that's my alma mater. I'm sure they loved Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Is it true? Did they love you? They were really welcoming, and uh, Maya was absolutely right. I was a baby to cry, uh, and they cheer, clap for me when I came, and I go, well, let's see if you're still clapping when it's all over. Over, and they clapped when it was a really great time. All right. They clapped it. when it was over. No booze? <laughs> no. All right. Booze. That's what we like to hear. Well, by the way, you'll like this. A lot of listeners to the podcast were in the audience, uh, including one man who said he really loves it when you play the ROM bit about biking around Michigan or Wisconsin. Oh, that's so we bit. may have to play that for Raylo uh, when he comes in, you know, as he's heard that. I don't know if he's heard the ROM about how he biked around Lake Michigan. So anyway. I just biked around Lake Michigan. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. No, no, this is not as good as yay for the teachers. <laughs> oh, that's a classic. That is, that's uh, one of the hits. Rounder. Uh, <laughs> yay for Ann Burke. Uh, that's Steve- part of the list, by the way, Ann Burke. Stephen Wade in. He says, get Alderman Simpson on the show. Uh, I 
you know what? Great idea. We will get him on. Uh, he, the man knows. Have you ever interviewed him, Maya Alderman Simpson? No, he's uh, no. He knows. A oh, little, D- Dick Simpson. Dick Simpson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't call him Alderman Simpson, okay, but yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I know. It's Many times. been a long time since he's been an alderman. He's but. great. He's you know, it's just like a fount of uh, all kinds of information, esoteric information and mainstream information about about Chicago politics. Definitely bring him on. Maybe uh, as soon as next week. And then Brent weighed in. He has a question. Good question here, Brent. Brent, I was wondering at this UIC event, did you drop any TIFF knowledge on him? Oh my God. Do you, I would say at least 20 minutes of TIFF talk. And I try to resist it, okay? But you know me, I can't stop myself. Of course. Uh, and uh, yeah, so there was a lot of TIFF talk. Uh, at the uh, and 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 Alderman Simpson, uh, Alder, Dick Simpson uh, raised a few good points about TIFF. So, uh, yeah, he, he had something to say on the subject as well. All right, so there you go. Feel free to weigh in on the chat. We'll try and uh, respond to those as they come in. All right, let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. A handful of good stories to choose from today, but we will begin with the Illinois governor. After years of neglect, Illinois is finally getting its mojo back. Hey, Illinois ain't the only one, buddy, because J.B. Prisker is getting his mojo back as well. After a damn near month on the shelf with a broken femur, we have an event listed on Governor Pritzker's schedule. All right, what is that? Pritzker will be at the Trust Arena today to speak at the After School Matters Gala. Okay, After School Matters. On Monday, the governor looking uh, more like a boss than ever. He has a cane now. Walks around with a cane. He attended the annual state democratic party fall reception at the sheridan grand ballroom he then hotel hopped to the hilton chicago for the annual personal pack awards luncheon ben you were there yes i was did you see jb pritzker yes i did did you talk to him no i did oh, not shoot. uh but you finish your talk and i'll talk about it all right well that's all we have for pritzker uh, updates at the moment uh he who knows he'll probably well, let sign me say something this. in the law before I, the day's I, over i'd love to get maya's thoughts on this yeah, he was a personal pack. So as everybody knows, personal pack is the largest uh, reproductive rights pack in the state of Illinois, Terry mm-hmm. Cosgrove's operation. And it was they had their uh, annual fundraiser yesterday my, the, at the banquet hall, banquet room of the uh, Hilton Hotel. Huge hall, packed, absolutely packed with all kinds of everybody. And J.B. Pritzker got up there. And I got to tell you, the guy gave a rousing uh, speech about democratic values. Well, there was a heavy emphasis on reproductive rights and the role that women can play in upcoming campaigns. And Dennis is always talking about J.B. Pritzker as a candidate for president in 2024 because he thinks that Trump's going to win re-election. See, I don't think Donnie's <laughs> going to win re-election, but he thinks Donnie's going to win re-election. Oh, yeah. And uh, so what's your thoughts about that? Do you think Pritzker... You, You've watched uh, the first, what is it? How long has he been in office for now? Since uh, January. January. So we're closing in on a year, nine months. Uh, what's your thoughts about J.B. Pritzker's first nine months? Uh, well, you know, there's there's some attempt to deliver on some of his promises. Um, I feel like he could be doing a lot, a lot more in terms of... Uh, changing policies and making um, the Illinois Department of Corrections more transparent, um, addressing the the severe issues that are going on there with in terms of access to records, like people not under, you know, when people die in prison, you know, you don't, people aren't able to get information as to what happened and why. Um, there's been a lot of kind of agitation around changing that. Um, I, in, but you know, I guess the weed is coming. <laughs> I, you know, that's that's that was one of his promises. And um, in general, the impression I get is that the um, this administration is more um, 
is more accessible and more willing to engage with people who are trying to reach them and uh, around progressive causes. So, you know, I feel like it's still early days yet. Yeah, it's early days. But I actually think uh, that so far, and I'm so far, Pritzker has been. Uh, I would say uh, more openly dedicated to progressive values, even if it's it's not completely across the board uh, to your desires than any other. Well, than Mayor Lightfoot at this point, and, and it's still early with her Ooh, too. Still yeah. early with her too. We got to see where she's going with the budget. Got to see what's going to happen with this teacher strike, this potential mm-hmm. teacher strike. But it, you know, he delivered on uh, his core promises, the key promises that he made. Uh, what you're talking about is a deeper dive that I don't know if any governor uh, will make. But anyway, there he was, D. You'd be you love it. He came but it was at the it was at the Hilton or the Hyatt. No, it was at the Hilton. It was okay. at the Chicago Hilton, uh, 720 South Michigan. It was, okay, the, uh, uh, First Amendment rights, f- free expression rights in Chicago mm-hmm. in the 21st century. Uh, again, this is a reproductive rights organization. And on the uh, sidewalk outside were anti-abortion activists with their uh, signs denouncing uh, abortion rights for women, denouncing uh, personal pack, trying to get people uh, not to go into the um, into the luncheon. I think they were unsuccessful on that front. Mm-hmm. So they had their First Amendment right to uh, uh, oppose uh, personal pack, and I have my First Amendment right to tell them they're full of beep because they don't do anything for people once they're born. They're all worried about the life of somebody before he or she is born. Then when they're born, oh, forget you, man. Yeah. Anyway, don't get me started about Republicans who are really passionate about. Thank you for cleaning that up. Oh, yeah. Oh, like the beep, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. All right, now moving on to the mayor. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Mayor Lori Lightfoot's <laughs> Tuesday schedule began. <laughs> Oh, she likes that. She likes that. Maya likes that. Oh, my God. You were sitting right next to me when she said it, Maya. We were at, no, no, but uh, this is a new level of appreciation that oh. I didn't know was possible. Oh, it's up there with yay for our teacher. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mayor Lightfoot's Tuesday schedule began with a visit to Maggiano's Banquets for a surprise, a luncheon. Oh, my God. She loves luncheons, Magic guys. She's always oh, having yeah. luncheons. At the City Club luncheon discussion, she uh, loves luncheons with Chicago State University president. Uh, this guy's name is just the letter Z. Z. Scott. Yeah, Z. Scott. Yeah, oh, it was a woman. Oh, Z. Scott? Yeah. Uh, professional. <laughs> this, this person's entire career has been being on boards, I feel like. She's just been on the board of just about everything possible. And now she's running Chicago State. Yeah. Oh, it's a female. I'm sorry. I, just, just the letter Z. It's kind of hard. To, it's because her name, her first name is like a very long, I think, Polish name. Hmm. She has a very long first name. Mm-hmm. Like it's, impo- it's like very hard to pronounce. So break it down to Z. Yeah. All right. So she's at Chicago State University there. Uh, then a meeting with CPD officials in the afternoon. And finally, Lightfoot will be delivering marks, uh, remarks just like J.B. Pritzker at the After School Matters Gala mm-hmm. at Wintrust Arena. It was also announced that on November 5th at the Hilton on Michigan Avenue, Mayor Lightfoot will co-host the Cook County Democratic Party's fall fundraiser alongside her 2019 mayoral <laughs> challenger and Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle. The two still kind of have a rocky relationship, but I'm sure they'll get along fine. Ben, we should definitely go to this, all right? You've been schmoozing all across the city lately. You know, you and me, let's cl- we'll both go. You clear your <laughs> okay. calendar. We'll put on fancy clothes. Oh, wait, hold on. Okay, scratch that. Never mind. Tickets are $200. Uh, <laughs> forget it. I. Uh, by the way, I have one suit, all right, which <laughs> I've now worn. Uh, I'm not complaining, my. I just say I'm just going to have worn my suit three times in the last two weeks. Oh, you got avocado is, on it somewhere. Three times more than I've worn it in the previous um, 
three years. So uh, I have this one suit. I had a, I wore it for personal pack. I had to wear it for a wedding. I went to a wedding, a lovely wedding on Saturday. So if Maya and I and you go to uh, that fundraiser, we'll have to. I'll have to break out my suit, and Maya will be wearing. I don't think we're going to go to that. Yeah, an thing. individual ticket, two hundred dollars. Yeah. I'm not going, dude. Uh, no. And according to a copy of the invitation <laughs> obtained by the Chicago Tribune, for only twenty five thousand dollars, you can be a corporate sponsor. Whoa, Maya, come on. <laughs> Let's. <laughs> come on, we could do that. Maya and I would just put our money together we come up with that $25,000 uh, sponsorship yeah, fee yeah let's take out a mortgage on your house <laughs> <laughs> second that mortgage up. yeah so all that's going on and uh, moving on here now we've been known to be a bit cynical from time to time on the program isn't that right Robert Mueller that's correct okay <laughs> so maybe it's just us but the following stories involving Lori Lightfoot give me uh, a slight concern uh oh and yeah slight right. concern although it was a, uh, a storm maybe brewing in Chicago all right. First off, remember Mayor Lightfoot in the city of Chicago is currently facing an $838 million budget deficit. And in trying to figure out a way out of this mess here, the mayor has told us time and time again that a property tax increase will be her last option. Some of her plans include the soon-to-be recreational legalization of cannabis and casinos in Chicago. And she's looking to cut a deal to get some help from lawmakers in our state capital, Springfield, Illinois. All right. Story number one here. Uh, for some reason, out of nowhere, a memo was, was released from the Lori Lightfoot PR team on Monday, reminding us that no matter what the critics and the media say about the challenges that she faces maneuvering in Springfield, Lori Lightfoot is popular. All right. Don't get it twisted. She's popular. <laughs> now, it should be noted that this memo was dated August uh, 30 or oh, 20th and detailed is a poll conducted. No, that was I'm sorry. It was dated August 30th. OK, this memo was dated August 30th and detailed is a poll conducted on August. Uh, August 19th through the 22nd. Today is September 24th, and quite a bit has happened since then. For one, Mayor Lightfoot's budget, not really budget address on August 29th. Mm -hmm. All right, the poll, about. The, the poll shows that Lightfoot was seen favorably at the time by 61% of 800 likely 2020 voters. And 77% at the time considered her, quote, an honest person. Here are some quotes from the memo. Quote, the public's impressions of Lightfoot are better now than they have been at any time since we began polling her standing back in May of 2018. Lightfoot pollster and former guest on the Ben Jarofsky show, Jason McGrath, mm -hmm. was quoted here. McGrath said, quote, the data speaks for itself. Nearly eight of ten people think Lori Lightfoot's doing a good job. She's still seen as an antidote to the status quo, and voters seem to have more optimism about the direction of the city. Anything yeah. you'd like to say about this? Well, memo? Uh, yeah, there's a couple things I like to say, and I want to hear what Maya has to say on it, and we should ask Raylo about it when he comes in as well. Yeah, um, there is a tendency on the part of people in the city of Chicago. Uh, it's not just the city, but let's just focus on the city. There's that honeymoon phase of a, a new official, so a new mayor, new president, what have you. And I think we're definitely in that phase. And people, she won overwhelmingly. So she won with 75% of the vote. She's, what do they say? Uh, approval rating of 80. So it's roughly, it's a little higher. I have to take, I haven't taken a deep dive in those numbers. So essentially we're in that honeymoon phase. Uh, the real test for Lori, of course, is um, what lies ahead for her with dealing with the Chicago teachers, probably at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. Are we going to have a strike? Can she successfully maneuver those negotiations to avoid the strike and keep the city happy? And the larger challenge, this is what I want your thoughts on, Maya, these um, progressive issues. Uh, 
uh, unfairly or inaccurately or not, Tony Preckwinkle is more or less positioned as the quote unquote progressive candidate in the last election. I had trouble with that because mm-hmm. I never viewed her as a real progressive, mm-hmm. or, uh, Tony Preckwinkle, but put that aside. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of progressives, the staunch, the left in the city of Chicago was reluctant about Lori Lightfoot and um I think that if there's a teacher strike, uh, if uh, in the face of the uh, Lincoln Yards uh, tiff, the way she's uh, dismissed the lawsuit or fought the loss, uh, the lawsuit against it, uh, there's that factor. And then there's the budget. Will she go to more progressive taxes? So I think there's a lot of room for Lori Lightfoot to have some high stakes confrontations with the left in the city of Chicago, and that could hurt her uh, standing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, that the, the teacher, this, how she handles the teacher's union is going to be a real um, barometer for that kind of thing, because if there's like there, there's there's the, for most progressives in the city that I know, like it, like get going, you know, fighting the teacher's union is like a, it's really hard to climb out of that hole and save your reputation as a progressive. I mean, nobody expected much better from Rom. You know, he's this very openly and blatantly neoliberal mayor, but Laurie's claimed that she stands for something else. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of people don't really believe that, but I think, yeah, the teacher's union strike, uh, you know, the, the, the whole, the whole negotiations, all of that is going to be really telling, but also don't forget the police union. Um, you know, they're, they're in contract negotiations as well. And they've really, they, it's been like, a, uh, honestly, it's, I think it's been like two years that these negotiations with the police union have been going on. Now their contract is in, um, it's, uh, it stays in force until there is a new one. So, you know, it's like they're, it's not like they're without a contract while the negotiations go on. But honestly, we really haven't heard much about it. And I think that that has to do both with, the city and the current leadership of the police union that that there's not really a front and center issue for them that they're talking about in the media a lot. But I'm I'm very curious to know how that will be, because um, obviously it's another kind of progressive litmus test type things. You know, what is, is she going to use her um, kind of bargaining power to rein in some of the um, some of the protections uh, that police officers have that sort of uh, allow uh, a kind of a code of silence in the department or that people say, let the police uh, sort of have an unfair advantage in spinning their narrative whenever it comes to misconduct allegations, that kind of thing. So it's interesting when you think about this fights with unions, uh, the difference in the public's mind between uh, the teachers union and the police union. Follow me where I'm going with this. I'm thinking this through as I say it. A fight with the teachers union is viewed as a fight against progressive Chicago. A fight with the fraternal order police is viewed as a fight on behalf of progressive Chicago. It's two separate unions. Yeah. Uh, and uh, each union tr- is a union is primarily there to take care of the interests of its constituents. That's its primary purpose. Mm-hmm. So the teachers have rules in their bylaws that protect teachers who have been accused of wrongdoing right. and give them their uh, due process. The police have theirs as well. I think the stakes you're, are higher when a police case, when somebody's been killed, uh, as opposed to an allegation, let's say, that a teacher doesn't live uh, in the city or something like that. Your residency requirement. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, there's two separate fights that she has ahead of herself, uh, and at the moment, the one with the police. You really don't hear much about it, yeah. and I really do think that it has more to do with um, how. Um, the police union leadership is handling this stuff. I mean, what I've heard, uh, this is really like from 
kind of deep background type sources, I've heard that they're really, that they're, that the negotiations are not really, uh, going that actively that they're not that it that, that it's it's not um that it's it's going very slowly and it may have something to do with the priorities of the current um police union leadership i'm not really sure i haven't i haven't like done a story on this but um yeah we haven't heard much about it and i think that like but it's it's there like somewhere on a back burner okay uh ed do you have any more news items because uh Raylo was on the elevator coming up and someone's got to go get them. Uh, oh, I guess I don't have any more news <laughs> items. <laughs> uh, did, you, did you find any possible interns at UIC? Uh, no, but there was a possible one from Columbia College. I'm All getting right, at fingers it. crossed. Uh, yeah, well, I was going to ask you a question here. Go uh, ahead. Basically, I'll just try to wrap that up. Good Lord, we need more help. Okay, uh, let's see here. So we had the, uh, the memo saying that Lori's popular, just reminding us for some reason. The reminder tour continued on Monday, and while Ben was hobnobbing at the Hilton Chicago for the annual Personal Pack Awards luncheon. More than 200 early supporters of Mayor Lightfoot's campaign gathered at District Brew Yards on Ashland Avenue. According to an attendee at the event, the mayor wanted to bring her volunteers and early backers together to thank them and celebrate with them. All right, Ben Jarofsky, for uh, the question here, Maya, feel free to weigh in as well. Why are we being reminded that Lori Lightfoot is so awesome all of a sudden? Why the sudden supporter party? And finally, why do I feel like we're being buttered up before Lori Lightfoot drops the hammer at this October budget speech? You answered your question with your last point. I, as we were just saying, Maya, there's some contentious moments ahead for Lori Lightfoot. And it's really important uh, from a PR standpoint that she's surrounds herself with people who believe in her get as loud a amen choir or chorus as she can before she confronts the teachers on this teacher's contract before she confronts the city council on possible uh, tax hikes before she confronts the police department on you know the uh, intricacies of their uh, the contracts i think it's very important that she sent out let a- her little light shine yeah <laughs> Let her little light shine. She's trying to let it shine. Uh, you know, it's it's really yeah. I um, you know, they just they need to they need to feel like they're loved. I don't. I wonder if it's almost like you know, people in their office are like, all right, she's got these tough things coming up. We gotta like if it's done as much to bolster her, uh, the p- public view of her as it is to bolster her own view of herself. Um, yeah. Well, I do know that uh, Mayor Rahm, I remember his first year, uh, he did, had similar things where he tried to turn budget hearings into rallies, uh, much like how Trump turns his things into rallies. And it just bombed because people would show up and boo him. And that's when he discontinued it. So uh, I think the, and what he learned is something that more uh, Mayor Lightfoot has learned, like you uh, sort of control the environment a little bit and you get uh, nothing but cheers. Uh, and uh, Alderman Ray Lopez has joined us. We're going to bring him on in a little bit. But before we uh, bring him on, i got to ask Maya a few questions. Uh, you were talking about something going on Uptown uh, that um, is interesting. Yeah, so I, this is a little um, a news update I heard this morning about the uh, byline uh, or the Bridgeview Bank building um, that's on the corner of Lawrence and Broadway. Um, 
being uh, all it's it's an office building now. If if folks can picture the area, it's it's that building on the corner with the Starbucks in the in the um, in the ground floor. But currently, most of the building is occupied by offices, and there's a lot of social services agencies that that uh, have offices there that have historically been providing services to you know immigrant and low income communities and elderly people in uptown. Um, and so back in April, this building was bought by um, Cedar Street Companies, which is a development group that's uh, better known uh, as the people behind the flats uh, project. So um, they've they've really been expanding a lot in Uptown, especially. And what they tend to do is buy older buildings. They've bought a lot of SROs, um, single room occupancy buildings, and like what are called men's hotels. And they. Uh, you know, transform them into like luxury micro apartments, basically. And so the plan is to um, take this building and instead of it being an office building, it's going to be transformed into apartments. And what struck me uh, listening to this very like kind of a long report about this whole thing in WBZ, because they talked to like, they talked about the history of the building. They talked about um, the architect who initially designed it as an office building um, and all the various different social service agencies that are headquartered there or have their offices there. And not a peep out of James Kappelman, the alderman uh, of the area about his position on this. Um, I just, assume that he's supportive of this move. Um, he's been supportive of Cedar Street before in their various, um, you know, acquisitions of, of, of affordable and low-income housing and transformations into luxury apartments. And I just, um, I was reading a story in The Real Deal by um, Alex, Nitkin, um, Alex Nitkin from back in April when this deal first uh, happened. So these folks came in and they basically told the social services agencies that like, we're not going to renew your leases when they're up. So, you know, good luck find new offices. But this article has this incredible paragraph that sort of captures how this company operates. And I also, uh, the photos of these three men that run this, uh, that run this company are just like these ridiculous glamour shots. So it's a very, it's a very weird juxtaposition about like (laughs) this article and these photos. But anyway, so I just wanted to read this little paragraph to give people a sense of like what is happening in Uptown now. So the pickup of the bank building uh, gives Cedar Street an even deeper foothold in Uptown, where it's become known for buying up aging buildings and filling them with apartments as small as 300 square feet under its Flats property management brand. Its most recent project fit 40 studio and one-bedroom units inside a former synagogue at 5029 North Caremore Avenue. Mm-hmm. And uh, one-bedroom units inside this former synagogue, guess how much... The rent is there. For a one bedroom? Yeah. A thousand dollars. Eighteen hundred dollars. Wow. Dang. It's been a while since. In a micro apartment. Eighteen hundred in a micro apartment in uptown inside a former synagogue. This is Babylon, Ben. (laughs) This is like (laughs) this is like the the this is like Uptown is turning into Chicago's Williamsburg. This is really, really crazy. (laughs) No, I when when we're gonna bring uh, Alderman Lopez on after the break because he has a different set of uh, economic development issues in his neck of the woods. And this is why people always talk about the city of Chicago as a tale of two cities that like the North side is just booming uh, and it's out of control. Cause that 
does sound like a lot of money for a one bedroom. Get get Alderman's opinion about that. Uh, and that and then there's still sections of the city that are really could use some economic development. If we had any kind of like balanced development in this city, it would be uh, healthier. I think that's a healthier mix. Uh, before we take a break and bring on the Alderman, I just have to talk about briefly. I, I want to uh, thank my. I had actually seen it already, but she sent it to me again. I've been sh- sending it to all, <laughs> all so many people, so many friends of mine. Uh, Dennis, you know I have this obsession uh, with Pam Greer. This is uh, Pam Greer is way before Alderman Lopez's time. Was a movie star in the seventies. I loved Pam Greer in the seventies. I loved her in the eighties and in the nineties. She was in Jackie Brown, one of the greatest movies ever made. And um, the New York Times did this great interview with her, which ran a couple weeks ago. And no, it was past Sunday. Oh, I thought it ran on the third. Well, whatever. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Maya sent it to me. It was the first thing I saw when I opened my phone on Sunday because, you know, Maya gets up a lot earlier than I do. And uh, it was just a great interview. Just talk briefly about how cool Pam Greer is. Pam Greer is so cool. I mean, she just talks about all the ways in which, like, you know, everything, you know, experience, life experiences that people would experience as failure, failures, like getting passed up, you know, for movie roles because producer thought she was too black or you know somebody some actor's girlfriend had priority to be in the movie or whatever you know having like a relationship uh, that went south with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and like just like these life experiences and she just talks about it all with such like I don't know self-confidence and 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 like kind of in all the ways that even like these various disappointments like didn't compromise her sense of who she was and what were her values and what was important and there was this amazing quote that I just love and I was like putting it all over social media but I'll I will read it uh out loud again for the benefit of your of your audience here so this this has little like brackets to indicate that she's snapping her fingers and she says fashion Orgasms, babies. Oh. These things are temporary. Intellect is forever. God, I love Pam Greer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that uh, pretty much sums it up. And uh, if you can learn some lessons from Pam Greer, you take a punch, you keep going, you don't let them get you down. People going to give you all sorts of grief. Alderman Lopez is snotting his head. There's going to be people who stand in your way and tell you this, that, and the other thing. You're too black. You're too old. You got gray hair. Oh, you hear you're those two all the time. Bad. Too old. Too gray well, hair. I get the gray hair too old all the time and she just doesn't let anything get her down uh yeah and that the the whole thing with kareem abdul jabbar is worth reading in and Mm -hmm. of itself because what he wanted her to do yeah he wanted her to like be a this kind of subservient woman yeah very kind of traditional housewife type of role and she was like like, "Uh, uh, i'm pam greer and then she tells this crazy story about how she like put richard pryor's horse in the back of her jaguar to save the horse when it got sick uh incredible interview a great interview i urge everybody not now because we've got alderman lopez coming on we're gonna take a break we're gonna break, but we'll put it on our uh our facebook live and you can uh, uh our facebook feed i should say and you should uh, read a great great interview with pam Greer. and then when you're done reading that 
go watch Jackie Brown. Yeah. Right? We can have a group discussion on the great. Somebody's got a great weekend planned out ahead of them. <laughs> Tell me exactly what I'm putting on our Facebook page. I will send it to you. It's the Pam Greer interview with the New York in the New York Times. Oh, hey Maya, uh, Bruce Browner wants to say something too. I don't know. Why. Yay for our teachers! <laughs> yay for our teachers! I wish we could doctor that for him to be saying yay for Pam Greer. Yeah. No. Then he goes on to uh, yay for Ann Burke. It's a whole litany of things. All right, uh, Maya. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Alderman Ray Lopez from the 15th Ward. The pride and joy of the Southwest Side is sitting right across the table from me. We'll bring them on when we return. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for, um, like if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And, uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you, um, even wider. October 12th to the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Hey, Chicago football fans, get the inside scoop on all things Chicago Bears this football season with the annual Sun-Times Bears magazine. Dive into features of players, coaches, games, and plays, and get excited for the 100th season of football. Ben's excited, isn't that right? Yeah, ready, set, 2020. Yes, ready, set, 2020 on the 100th season of football. This collectible magazine is just what you need to get ready for this fall. You can order your copy of the magazine at suntimes.com forward slash CS. Shop. Once again, that's suntimes.com forward slash CST shop. Grab your copy today. Ready, set 2020 and ready, set. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Alderman Ray Lopez in the studio, the Pride and Joy of the 15th Ward. As I said, the last time uh, we were together in a studio, uh, Alderman, I don't know if you remember this, you had police escort. Do you remember that now? 
Uh, and uh, so just uh, sort of update everybody and what, what went down with that and what's the status of that. You would, uh, it was an undercover Chicago police officer sitting in the studio along uh, uh, alongside you. I think he was more for your protection with me in the room than my <laughs> oh, <okay>. protection. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that was from some of the gang threats we were getting in 2016, 17, following some of the aggressive tactics I was doing to try and root them out of the neighborhood. You know, that was around the time when AK-47s and AR-15s were almost on every block in some of my communities. Thankfully, our efforts, both in dealing with gangs as well as dealing with their landlords, have made that security unnecessary at this point. And so, so uh, in other words, you haven't been getting any life threats? Uh, not threats that I know life. of. Okay. Or at uh, least they don't post them on Facebook anymore. Yeah, they're pretty open about it, pretty yeah. aggressive. Yeah, I remember that the cop was in there, he was just like, uh, just sitting there very quietly. <laughs> a couple of times he looked like he wanted to weigh in when I was blasting the TIFF program, because uh, his pensions are affected by that stuff too. Uh, all right, things have changed on another front, uh, Alderman Lopez. And uh, the last time you were on the show, you were more or less uh, an ally of the mayor, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, uh, and you were open about it. We had our disagreements about some of the things that Mayor Rahm did, although he took issue with you a few times. Uh, famously. Famously, which, thanks to me, I put it out <laughs> before you wanted me to. Uh, now you're pretty much known, along with Anthony Beal, as one of the two... I don't know, a mayoral opponents, I guess is what we would call them, or critics, mayor critics in the city council. Definitely the only two I could think of offhand and add more to the list if, if I'm missing them, who are unafraid to criticize Mayor Lightfoot. And you're the people that, like France, Spielman of the Sun-Times or the Tribune people turn to for counter quotes. Am I accurate in all this description? So far, so good. Although I'd say I'm more the defender of democracy because this is the kind of government that people have always said they wanted. You yourself said, you know, we don't want rubber stamps anymore. We want a government where aldermen are getting engaged. They're asserting their authority. Well, you know, careful what you ask for because sometimes you can get it. it. Uh, well, we were actually just talking about this. So I have no problem with the democracy. I want to promote democracy. Uh, and I think that's why I immediately reached out to you. There was a story in last week's. I can't remember what the story was where I read it in the paper. You're critical. Do you remember what the story was that I reached out to you? for i can't even remember was it around like the vaping the city council meeting in general it was, was the city council meeting in general you, you had an or was that oh was it the uh, zoning person that got deferred from the mayor yes that's what it was <laughs> it was the zoning person that was deferred to the mayor and you were making a point about the issue of alderman and prerogative and that the mayor is going too far in asserting mayoral control over zoning issues talk about that issue we talk about it a lot in this show well you know the issue with uh the mayoral's appointment was for a alternate appointment to the zoning board of appeals and for your listeners who may not be aware, anytime the mayor appoints anyone to any board or even as commissioner to a department, it has to get city council approval. And this was one of the individuals who came before the uh, committee on zoning and expressed what his views were about the role of aldermen and how we play and how we represent our constituents. Mm -hmm. And he basically said that, you know, we're no different than anybody else and that basically aldermen are not the representatives of the, the wards that they come from which flies smack in the face of everything that this government is designed around, where we are, in fact, the representative voices of our respective wards. And a number of my colleagues were not happy with that answer. We had heard it routinely, but he was the most arduous defender of that comment. And myself and Alderman David Moore at the time voted against him flat out and said no at committee. 
And then when his appointment came before the full city council, Alderman Beale and I both deferred and published it so that it would take an even longer time <laughs> to right. get settled yeah. uh, in the hopes that people understand that we do have a role to play. And I know the mayor said, well, we're just trying to get some backdoor allegiance to aldermanic prerogative. And it's not that at all. This is about knowing how government works. It's about the checks and balances of what the legislative control is over the executive branch. And when it's our job to approve these individuals, we retain the right to say yes or no, whether the executive, whomever that is, agrees with us. All right. Now let's talk about the practical implications of what the mayor has done so far on the front of aldermanic prerogative. I'm having a hard time seeing that much has changed in a real way. I know there's been a lot of talk of change, a lot of talk of like an executive order. I don't know really substantively if that has any impact. If I'm a developer and I want to put a, uh, a parking a mall strip mall in your ward don't i still have to go to you first or just well you don't have to go to us first anymore because that's what her prerogative said is that we are not the beginning point for any of these discussions in our ward you can go to the department you can go to city hall bureaucrats and you can make your case uh but the problem that i've had and a number of our my colleagues have had with regards to what the mayor has said is that a lot of it seems high on rhetoric but low on practicality because at the end of the day whatever you're proposing to build your strip mall you still need to have the vote in the city council to approve it and if that local alderman says no i don't want it it's still going to be a no. There's no getting around that fact. And that was one of the things that we told her team. I told her that you're giving people a false impression that somehow we are no longer part of this process when all you're doing is forcing people rather than discuss the issues up front with the alderman. And I get it. I know she's got issues with Ed Burke and a few others who got side side gigs doing all this. And I get all that 100%. But if you have best practices in neighborhoods, like the conversation that I just heard about what's going on in Uptown. If you have things that are going on where community and aldermen are engaged, you can address some of the pitfalls in advance before it becomes a matter of application and zoning change, where now you can run the whole process and you won't know what the alderman's objection is until the very end after you as a developer, you as a homeowner, you as just a regular Chicago citizen has spent thousands of dollars to get to that point only to be told no. But let me ask you this, what, I mean, what, uh how do you see this when this issue comes up when the thing that the alderman is saying no to supposedly at the behest of the constituents in his ward is for example affordable housing like what we saw on the northwest side i mean you also voted to not grant the zoning change because that's what anthony napolitano wanted and in fairness i also supported john arenas because that's what he wanted right so but i mean there seems to be some some growing consensus in the city that it's not okay that we're allowing that much of a say for aldermen about, for example, something as important as affordable housing that we have such a shortage of in this city. Well, one of the things that I had suggested, Ben, was that, and I had told this to the mayor and her team, was that maybe when it comes to broader community-wide issues, when it, things that go beyond ward boundaries, that we should maybe remove ourselves as aldermen from this and have an actual planning commission deal with these issues themselves and be the, the end all for it, so that it's not just up to one individual. We can still identify who the bad players, bad businesses, and do more of the smaller local stuff. But when you're talking about major issues 
as it relates to this case, housing, particularly where we're having city dollars come in and help build affordable housing or address some of these issues, maybe then we should not necessarily just leave that to the alderman. I think that would have been a fair compromise to what the mayor's stated her goal is, is to invest in communities and to address some of these issues where prerogative has been a roadblock. And by and large, a number of my colleagues were receptive because truth be told, nobody wants to always be the one that has to make the final decision, particularly on issues where they might want to see development, but because their neighborhood says no, they can't do it for whatever their reason is, as we saw with the Napolitano versus Arena situation. In other words, they want to cover if uh, necessary, if and, and, uh, in a way, with a yeah. controversial uh, project. I have uh, taken the stance, Maya doesn't always agree with me in this stance, but I've taken the stance that uh, alderman, per, alderman prerogative is largely a fictitious, made-up, phony issue, uh, that in reality, there's it's not the alderman who have too much power, it's the mayor who has too much power. And I've said this consistently throughout, no matter who the mayor is, including Rahm Emanuel, as you know. Uh, so in the case I heard of, that once or twice. Yeah, once or twice. In case of Napolitano, uh, the real issue, I thought, was that the city had no uh, low-income affordable housing plan, a systematic plan for the entire city of Chicago. It was like a plan here in Arena's ward, a plan right. here in Napolitano's ward, and they were going to approve the one in Arena's ward because the cover was Arena wanted it, and they are going to approve the one in a, uh, vote against the one in Napolitano's ward when the cover was that Napolitano was against it. And so then the, the issue became automatic prerogative as opposed to lack of a housing plan by Mayor Rahm. And I think now with this new Department of Housing, if we were to actually go through that route and say, look, you are the Department of Housing, you need to address the inequities of housing as they relate to the entire city of Chicago so that all of your affordable housing, all of your low-income housing is not concentrated in 10 wards while 30 others have next to nothing and some have absolutely zero, then you could come up with a comprehensive strategy to address that but if we all have to be on the same page to do that, if you leave it up to us, leave it up to aldermen, you're always going to have aldermen who have to contend with their voters, have to deal with the not in my backyard syndrome, and you're never going to make any true legitimate progress in expanding opportunity across the entire city. All right. Uh, let me ask you this question. Maya, do you have a follow up you wanted to ask? No. I know you're gonna... All right. I had this. I applaud you for uh, taking the stand you're taking. Uh, if you want to criticize the mayor, you're going to criticize the mayor. Uh, I do believe we need more aldermen who are willing uh, to raise their voice of opposition, you know, as long as they're respectful, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, what is different about this mayor and the last mayor? You see more willing to do it with this mayor as opposed to the last mayor. Well, the last mayor, even when we disagreed, we were still able to get things done. As far as it relates to me and Rahm Emanuel, we had our disagreements, as you know, uh, on things far, far and wide in between, you know, and... At the end of the day, we were still able to always work together, you know, get past the emotion, focus on facts, focus on numbers, and focus on results. What I've seen from this new administration is the complete opposite. I've seen pettiness, I've seen bitterness, I've seen, you know, operating on what other people tell you as opposed to being in full command of the facts or the situations and letting that guide you. And unfortunately, that's not a good place to be in when you're trying to address some of the major issues that the city of Chicago is facing, let alone the issues locally that we're facing. We have to be partners. We have to be able to work together. And your opinion of me should not get in the way of my offers of help or ideas to help move the city of Chicago forward. On a personal level, when you, like you said, you, you, you 
directly related your thoughts to Mayor Lightfoot. What's her response been to you on it? Just on a personal one. It's just uh, all she and I have only met talked once this whole time. So since she was elected, we've only sat down once for one hour. So, you know, there's a definite difference between, you know, I could call Rom, I could text Rom and I'd get an answer. We talk, whatever. This one, not so much. So there really is no personal anything other than, you know, I know she has individuals. I know that she follows me on Twitter or whatever, uh, but that's not conducive to how you can operate government. As we see, you know, if you only focus on what you hear on social media and what your closed group of advisors tell you, you're basically operating like the Donald Trump form of government. And that's not what Chicago needs right now. The way it was presented uh, in the early days uh, when you and Beal were starting to speak out, it was like you were sort of agents of Ed Burke. That somehow or other, uh, the vo- the voices of dissent coming from you and and Beal were actually puppeteers. Puppete- yeah, mm-hmm. Ed, yeah, Ed Burke was. I think she called me a water boy or something or something along those lines. But, although did? I love, although I love that movie with Adam yeah, Sandler. Well, <laughs> good movie. Uh, but anyway, uh, so uh, talk about that. So you know. Our very first meeting, she tried to put me in a box as, you know, being beholden to Ed and, you know, doing whatever he tells me to do to try and undermine her. You know, I, I think she exists in a world where she always has to have an enemy. She has to have conflict in order to move forward and stay above. And, you know, that was one of the things that we discussed. And that day, my objections were very simple. It was her first council meeting. She made introductions for who she wanted as chairman of her of her committees and things of that nature, her leadership team on the council. And it was striking to me that for someone who claimed to be all about equity and parity and, you know, all of that, not all of that stuff, you not only di- diminished Latino participation in leadership, you also cut them literally in half. So that we went from having like four or five Latino chairmen and making up 13, 15% of the committee structure to being less than 5% with only two. And because I voiced that objection, she took that as her cue to say, well, Ed Burke must have told him. As if somehow I can't think or count for myself. And every time she's opened her mouth about whatever my objections are, it's always Ed Burke, Ed Burke, Ed Burke. Um, That's fine. One day Ed Burke will not be here and she's going to have to figure out who else to assign my objections to unless she's going to say I'm getting cliff notes from jail from Ed Burke. (laughs) Uh, yeah, Ed Burke will be uh, calling you collect because I don't believe they can do direct <laughs> dial from a federal uh, penitentiary. Do you uh, talk to Ed Burke? Do you get advice from Ed Burke? I mean, I talk to Ed like I would any of my other colleagues. We've worked together on things locally because we share neighborhoods, we share borders. But this notion that somehow he's feeding me the, the cue cards to what to say and what to do to her is just patently false. I've been around long enough, four years before I was even elected. Pat O'Connor said, if you want to know how to work here, you got to know the rules of the game. I made it a point to know what our rules are, know how, op- how our committees operate, how our council operates. So if it looks like I know what I'm doing, it's because I've done my due diligence to get to this point. And I don't need Ed to sit there and say, Raise your hand now. Raise your hand now. What do the alder aldermen say to you I mean, privately? Are they encouraging you or saying, yeah, you go get them? <laughs> or are well, you they know, saying, you've too far? Sometimes one who uh, does the right thing sometimes does it alone. And I think that, you know, we have privately, some of my colleagues are glad that I'm speaking up. Some of them have said, you know, I'm glad you're bringing this to light. Uh, at some point, they need to stand on their two, their own two legs and do the same. Because if it just looks like it's me or just like Anthony Beal only, you know, it gives this perception that somehow we're just agitators. What we are is a council that speaks and my colleagues will eventually find their legs 
particularly when it comes time to addressing the budget issue, which I know you also wanted to talk about um, as we go through budget meetings today, you know, Lori told Lori's team said, well, the budget gap is about 1.1 billion now. Oh, I missed that. It went to 1.1 billion. So apparently, you know, she said at her budget speech, we're at a billion dollars. I told the news that I think it's going to be about 1.2. Then she said she mysteriously came up with $162 million in savings, which she never identified. And now we're back up to about $1.1 billion based on budgeting forecasts saying that, well, you know, as the budget evolves from where we were when we gave the address to where we are now, we're looking at closer to about 1.1. Next year, it might be about 1.5. Um, because you're also looking at increased costs for police, fire, and the pensions, and all of that other stuff. So, you know, even her own forecast said worst case scenario, you're looking at about 1.8 if we get stuck with a recession. So, things so, are not trending in the right direction. So, do for you us. think those numbers are accurate, or do you think they're just making it up as they go along? No, I think the 1.1 is probably more accurate than the 800 million was when she first announced it. Um, I had said before that I fi- I pen- pinned it at about 1.2 billion. Um, and I think we're in the right ballpark. The question is, what are we going to do to finally get ourselves out of this mess? Mm-hmm. And when, at what point, are we ever going to start worrying about the fact that Chicago is carrying billions of debt, IOUs that all our grandchildren and great grandchildren are going to have to contend with? You know, we keep talking about fines and fees and equity and all. We're 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 dancing around the fray without actually addressing the fact that we have a looming debt issue and our addiction isn't to fines and fees. Our addiction is to debt ever since Mayor Daly was in charge of the city. Baby Daly, the second one, not the first one. Daly two. Uh, Daly two. Uh, so do you have any proposals in your mind that you would like to see the mayor implement to deal with this? Well, I think first and foremost, what was interesting for me to learn and a number of my colleagues was that the mayor's office, even before Lori was around, the Office of Budget and Management was doing monthly cash reports on the cash flow of all of our departments, tracking their spending on a monthly basis. We never knew that. Uh, that came out. So I'm hopeful that we get to see how our, our departments are spending their money because that's usually where the mistakes happen. Are you letting overtime getting out of control, supplies getting out of control, all of that stuff. Two, you know, she said that she did a hiring freeze of about 3,000 unfilled positions, which should anger every Chicagoan because those were positions that taxpayers last year were made to pay for, for this year, to get the job done in every neighborhood with multi, across multiple departments. 3,000 jobs just became a placeholder for fixing budget problems. Now, that could be anywhere between 100 and $150 million just on salary alone before we factor in health and pension benefits. No one has told me, now that we've identified 3,000 jobs we never filled, are we keeping them in the budget or are you going to actually wipe them out once and for all so that you're not asking taxpayers to pay for $150 million in jobs that don't exist and you have no intention to fill? I think that would be a very good start and would get you at least 10% of the way right off the bat simply from an administrative wipeout on the budget so that you're not trying to ask taxpayers to pay for those positions. Well, Maya, I, I remember being at the hideout once when Tony Preckwinkle was there. We, I don't know if you were there that night, but you remember Tony Preckwinkle said that the trick she learned from Mayor Daly, Daly too, Baby Daly, was just this point. You have unfilled 
job vacancies in the city's budget that are money is being allocated for those jobs but they're not being directed to anybody they're not like cutting checks to anybody and so then the money is free for the mayor to spend on it's a mini slush fund effectively and Tony smiled when she said it. You remember that? Were you at this one? Uh, yeah, I, I, I vaguely remember this, but I'm pretty sure that that money can't hold a candle to the amount that's tied up in the TIF district. So, speaking of slush funds. Yes. Uh, so, that, okay. So, uh, perfect segue uh, into the TIF funds. All right. So, you would, first of all, listen, if you eliminate those, here's the reality if you eliminate those jobs from the budget, uh, you're not going to help the budget deficit because those jobs no yes you will because those are those are positions that they're already counting towards part of next year's budget so that means you're already going to bring that number down by 150 million or more automatically because if they're not in next because you're right now they are basing every they're not doing zero based budgeting they're doing based on current funding and current structure so if your current structure involves 3,000 jobs that don't exist and aren't being used and are just placeholders for your rainy day fund yeah or to pay other things in the budget well usually that's when that's when at the end of the year when you're trying to balance everything out and you figure out okay well i had 200 million stashed away i could cover 150 million in overtime well we're only 50 million short we did a great job you know but if you want to have truth in budgeting well okay that's a different thing okay truth in budgeting there's two separate items yeah crazy talk truth (laughs) you're absolutely correct there's truth in budgeting and then there's paying down the debt you know what i'm saying so you have untruth in budgeting in order to raise money that you think you're spending on jobs but you're in reality what paying bankers to pay off the loan that you took out last year right uh so that's the trick i remember uh, tony prickle said she learned uh from uh mayor daly all right let's get to the tip on am is absolutely correct uh i think the amount of uh unobligated money in the TIF fund is over 800 million. I haven't seen I think it. that's about right. Something uh, like that. It's And I say I think because the city has never ever released a yearly total on that. They don't make that part of the official budget process. Right. They keep that in the dark. Um, so, all right, you were never a big opponent of the way the city's TIF program worked uh, when it was ROM. Are you willing to step up and take that role now, uh, which is needed as much now as it ever has been. Are you willing to stop? Well, two things. I think that first off, when you look at the un, the unencumbered 800 million, let's just go at 800 million, mm-hmm. make it easy for us. You know, even if you surplus that and gave it back to everybody, we'd probably only get about 200 million if we're lucky. That's correct. So it's the not, rest would go to the public, the board of ed. And so. Half of it goes back to board of education right off the bat, because, you know, as most of your viewers know, half your property tax, a little more than half, is strictly board of ed. Um, so we'd only see about $200 million. So it wouldn't actually be like this huge influx of cash to the city of Chicago. It'd be great and it would help us get start chipping away, but it wouldn't be everything that we need. It's not the end all. And two, what worries me is that there are some areas like my ward where we have TIFs, where we have projects sitting in limbo as we wait to see what the mayor's gonna do with regards to what her team called aggressive surplusing. So does that mean that my infrastructure for my ward is now secondary to this budget issue? Does that mean that the things that are meant to help bring up back of the yards in West Englewood are now playing second fiddle, even though they're in a TIF district designed to help blighted areas? And I don't think anyone would argue that they're blighted areas that I have. Mm-hmm. Does that mean I have to play second fiddle so that we can 
put off having to do a tax increase. And for that reason, I would strongly argue no, because in certain areas, certain areas, TIFs still have a role to play. Mm -hmm. They might not play the role of remodeling the press room at City Hall, (laughs) but... A subtle reminder. A subtle reminder. $200,000, I want to $224,000. I corrected, yeah. Um, And I think her response was, it's not taxpayer money, it's TIF money. Wow. Um, But you have to remember, all of this is taxpayer money. Yes. Now, the question is, are the TIFs going to be used to help those areas that need it? Now, we have a lot of TIFs that still have to pay for schools, that still have to pay for libraries and things of that nature. My back of the yards, college prep, beautiful school, 90 something million dollars still obligated through TIF 47th street. You know, money has to be paid and you have to make sure you make those payments through those TIFs. But when we look at the other TIFs that are expiring or the TIFs that are in areas that don't necessarily qualify as blighted, then maybe we need to absolutely start paring them down and cutting that back because I think that will end up eventually freeing up dollars. But I think just the wholesale dismantling of TIFs or taking it away from the communities that need it the most still mm-hmm. uh, would be a mistake. Yeah. Even I would not advocate for that. I think you're absolutely correct that there's a perp- there's a reason the program exists Maybe. and is to eradicate blight in low income areas that but for the TIF would not get any investment at all. Absolutely. So I, I think that's a noble purpose to have the program. Uh, it's been uh, radically distorted and manipulated over the years. So now one thing that I would suggest though too is that we as we look at some of the TIFs before we get to that point you look at how many TIFs impact homeowners in particular. How many TIFs take in parts of the city that are dealing with perhaps like the lead pipe issue. Now what we do with the TIF is uh, in my ward we have offered a neighborhood improvement programs paid for through TIF funds to help our homeowners who otherwise might not be able to do some of the upkeep on their homes and properties so that they can make them livable and safe for them. Well, we could always look at that as possibly like a lead-based neighborhood improvement program as well using TIF funds before we start dismantling this source of revenue. Because as we look at like the lead pipe issue, that is, I think at one point, a $6 billion issue that we're looking at for the total lead pipe replacement, particularly within homes. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, our connections aren't the only source of lead in people's water. As we replace our lead pipes on the street to the, from the main to the home, you still have to deal with what's on the other side of the fence, what's in people's homes. And a lot of folks can't afford to have all their pipes replaced. So that might be something that we look at, at least within the context of those TIF districts. Can we do a program there to help those individuals? Because that'll lessen the financial burden that the rest of the city has to come up with for areas outside of the TIF districts. All right, fair enough. But my hunch is for this first budget, uh, that if I had to put money in Vegas on this, I'd say the mayor would keep those job vacancies so that that money could be used to pay other bills and obligations. So it's still coming in instead of eradicating them from the budget, you keep the money coming in and continues the process of what did you call it? Aggressive surplus. Aggressive surplus. Yeah, that's pure. That was their charge. That was their charge. Yeah, that's their charge. I learned today. Yeah, aggressive surplusing, which means essentially taking the TIF dollars that have been collecting in a bank account, hope we get good interest on it, and kicking it back to the taxing bodies. And so you use it to pay, uh, you give some to the schools, 50% goes to the schools, what, 8% goes to the park district, I forget what, 20% goes to the city, and that will be two ways the mayor uh, tries to balance the budget. Then you get to the issue of taxes, property taxes, 
uh, this city has this really bizarre attitude, Ray, about property taxes. They routinely approve TIFFs deals, which raise the property tax. And then when it comes to just like really raising the property tax to a levy, they, oh, they start pounding their chest. I'm not going to do it. Where do you think we're going to go with this? Are they going to raise the property tax in this? Uh, I think budget? you'll have to. I think that, you know, as much as people don't like talking about it, you know, and I know the mayor's doing this uh, road show town hall thing that she's doing in all the neighborhoods. I think she's coming to my ward tomorrow. I wouldn't know. I'm not invited. Um, even meeting today with aldermen, you know, all of this always, you know, it's property taxes are the last resort. Property taxes are the last resort. But if all of your suggestions are not feasible, if all of your suggestions don't get you to where you need to be to fill the gap and to make the changes you need to, you know, you might as well just say, we don't have enough with everything that we're putting forward. Your progressive uh, taxes that, that, that were put forward, your head tax, your hotel, motel tax, real estate transfer tax, this tax, that tax, service tax, whatever, none of that is going to equal the billion one that you need. Mm. And it's going to have to be a property tax. And I think the sooner that people are, start actually having that conversation, that real conversation, the better off this discussion will be. Otherwise, this is just another dog and pony show like every other mayor before who's kind of, we're going to let you think we're doing it this way, but we're really just still going this way. All right. Now, a lot of some of the progressive aldermen, some of the more liberal aldermen, radical, whatever you want to call them. I'm not lefty liberal. Uh, well, some of them, no. <laughs> uh, I think every Democrat in Chicago, I used to have this argument about Rom. They're supposed to be liberal. All right. <laughs> but some of the more lefty aldermen, uh, for lack of a better word, have come up with proposals for other kind of taxes that are more progressive in terms of like a, a head tax or a city income tax or a commuter tax or LaSalle Street tax, taxes that hit hardest on the wealthier uh, people in the city of Chicago or even who don't even live in Chicago, who work in Chicago. Are you supportive of those? Uh, you know, some a lot of what they propose I find to be um, unrealistic. And I, for one, would not be would not want to be associated with being one of the first aldermen to make Chicagoans pay an income tax for living in this city. Um, head tax, you know, at a time when you're trying to ensure that we have a retail environment puts us on a very dangerous course. And I think that overall what you're seeing in a lot of what these progressive aldermen's proposals are is that you're starting to have this dual discussion over the Chicago who pays and the Chicago who doesn't really have to pay so much. And that's going to cause a lot of friction in this city that has forever been just a single unit. And you're starting to, to see fissures in neighborhoods where you're this, this notion that somehow someone else has to pay, but I don't can be a very dangerous path to start heading down. But what I think we should do mm -hmm. is that we really should have been educating our entire city on what the true cost of government is. First and foremost, everyone always has this mythical view on where all city service comes from, completely disassociated that your taxes, your fees and everything pay for that very service that you like so much. Garbage fees, lights, potholes, graffiti removal, you name it. What I've done in my ward, I've actually itemized how much all of those services cost so that when you say I need a new garbage can because they've stolen it for the sixth time, I will tell you that this garbage can costs taxpayers $47.50. And if this is your sixth one, that means we've spent almost $300 replacing your garbage can just for you. Not that I'm trying to embarrass anyone, 
but you need to know what government costs. It's just not this open-ended phone call to 311 and I get everything <laughs> magically. And when you do that, people yeah. have a better understanding of where their taxes are, what they're paying for, and what they should be getting. And they set them up for a level of customer service that I don't think that they're used to and accountability for the government that we're not used to seeing. And we need to do that. Our residents need to know. And I think our residents need to know how much money they're actually producing for the city of Chicago. One of the things that I'm trying to work out right now is I'd love to do like a, a service bill, like a hypothetical service bill for like 10 residents. Just pick 10 residents and see how much were your property taxes? What did you pay to the city? You know, cars, property tax, you name it. And then here's all the services you've asked for 311, and this is what it costs. This is what you've paid versus mm. this is what you've cost. Yeah. And so that we could get an idea in every neighborhood how we're all in this together and where those costs are coming from. I, I appreciate the, the, the principle of what you're advocating, that we're all in this together, and we should not divide the city uh, one side against another side, one person against another. But in the, rea the reality, the way services have been allocated, your neighborhood has been shortchanged, whereas this neighborhood that I'm in now, that this greater West Loop, uh, north side, near south side area, has gotten far more than your neighborhood. The, the, again, come back to the TIF program. They're spending $1.3 billion in Lincoln Yards. $1.3 After I, they put in the roads so that we don't have to pay for them. Yes. Well, you're paying for them out of your property taxes. They could spend that money rebuilding roads in the 15th Ward. The 15th Ward will, will not get, if I add up all the TIFs, in the full 20 next 23 years, they will not come close to $1.3 billion, which is all going to one ward, the second ward, Brian Hopkins ward. How is that fair? Well, we've actually used our TIF for our infrastructure. So as our neighborhood improves, as we put in the infrastructure in place with our TIF, that actually generates more money into our TIF, which is the whole point of this program to help address a blighted area to raise it up, create more money, keep it in the TIF so that we could keep building and doing what we're doing. Um, so I don't th necessarily think my ward doesn't get the services that it needs because I advocate for everything that it gets. And I'm more than certain that my residents probably see more, a lot more services than they ever saw before my arrival. And we rival and put to shame a number of wards simply because I'm like fanatical on certain issues, mainly cleanliness. So I know my residents are taken care of because I advocate for that. But definitely I know that there's always is the question of is it fair for downtown to look one way versus how the neighborhoods look i get it you're always going to have people asking that question i have it even in my own ward is brighton park getting more than back of the yards is west anglewood doing better than gauge park and so on anytime you have people it's human nature who's getting what the question is is that really a true statement to make or are there some deficiencies in that question that you could point out and say no actually when you put all the numbers on the table this is actually what you're getting. And I think that's the problem that we have in city government right now, whether it was Rom, whether it's Lori now, no one's ever put all the numbers on the table. <clears throat> no one's ever put everything for all laid bare. All right, I'm gonna tell you something, I'll make a bet with you right now. She's gonna lay bare? We, no, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I would never <laughs> bet on any mayor <laughs> uh, being openly, completely honest with the numbers. You could, but if you could, and you found every nickel, 
spent in the 15th ward and folks for uh the geographically challenged the 15th ward is near southwest side southwest side of chicago like englewood area around there to take 63rd street to the green the the, the green line stop and, and that's be right in my office right right across <laughs> the street because i took that train to your office with anyway uh so that's where the uh 15th ward is you could take all the money they spent in your ward and in 20 years, Ray Lopez, it will not equal to oh, 1.3 billion. Oh, I'm sure. With a B, as Lori Lightfoot likes to say. 1.3 billion with a B that they're spending. And so I think at some point, doesn't equity play into it? I mean, does, isn't isn't that the heart of what the fair tax is with Pritzker? At some point, you just got to say, what's a fair way to distribute the money, as opposed and to gather the money isn't shouldn't we address that as a city as well on both fronts absolutely I, i'm not gonna knock that equity should not be something that we're concerned about equity absolutely has to be um but we also have to remember that as we have these have these discussions when you say certain neighborhoods will not be impacted by tax increases or won't be affected that does play out in the city as well and i think that we just have to temper some temper some of that rhetoric with the truth, with the hard facts of what's going on. All right, I'll temper the rhetoric with this. Hey, Brian Hopkins, if you're listening, and I know you are, <laughs> come on, kick a little of that 1.3 billion down to the 15th ward. Stop hogging it uh, on the north side of Chicago. I know you're really happy because you gave the uh, uh, the the dump trucks to the sixth ward. I don't know if you follow that one. They got the dump trucks. He <laughs> gets the 1.3 billion. Oh, God, Chicago. All right. Yes, that's <laughs> billion with a B. Oh, thank you, Mayor Lightman. I was hearing voices in my head for a minute. <laughs> it's not your head. It's real. Uh, all right, so I'll, I'll, I'll let up on that one for the moment, and we'll bring it up later. All right, uh, as long as we're talking about some of the issues facing this, there's a couple on the, on the table here I want to talk to you about. Uh, the whole attitude of marijuana. Please help me on this one, Ray. The mayor has created this exclusion zone I used to think about Alderman at Prerogative. The Alderman, wa- the Alderman is, is Riley. He wants the reefer sold in his ward. Okay, she's going, nah, I need you to. I already said, Alderman Mayoral at Prerogative. Okay, mayoral Prerogative. Mayoral Prerogative. So, may, okay. so why? I don't get it. Wouldn't you want marijuana sold downtown? Because that's where, like, tourists are there. They're going to want to buy it. That They're paying the taxes. So, you know, I find... This arg- I found I found this very interesting to hear how this was playing out because none of us knew that this was coming. By the way, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And she puts in there six six zones plus downtown. It's good enough for all six zones. I think she said uh, because she wanted to make sure downtown was family friendly. Mm-hmm. First off, as someone who doesn't live downtown, I don't know how the hell I'm supposed to take that comment about my fa- unfamily friendly neighborhood on the southwest side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah. Oh, that was the, I didn't even, <laughs> the first thing that hit me was that comment. It's, it's good enough for my neighborhood, but don't put it downtown because that's not what we want people to see. Screw that, first off. Mm-hmm. Um, two, all your tourists come downtown. All your money, all the disposable income. We have an entire industry of tourism that supports thousands of people. Why would you not have those dispensaries downtown where the people and their money are? You mean to tell me someone's going to go all the way to Rogers Park to go to a dispensary when they're staying at the Sheridan right off Wacker Drive? Mm -hmm. Or they're going to come down to Brighton Park in the southwest side or 
Starfield Ridge or West Elsden by Speaker Madigan's house to go buy some pot on 63rd Street over there? <laughs> they're not going to do it. They're going to stay right where they are. They only go to the restaurants where they're at. They go for the downtown atmosphere. Yeah. And that's where they spend their money. And this misguided notion that, you know, no, we want to keep downtown this way and we'll, we'll somehow generate interest in the neighborhoods for the dispensaries. Unless we have some miracle Chicago pot that we've never seen before <laughs> that's yeah. only sold in certain zip code, outlier zip codes, yeah. I highly doubt people from downtown are going to go out to the neighborhoods to go buy. They're going to want it where they are, and that's where our store should be. Yeah, I. Uh, that's something we see eye to eye. There was a funny bit in the today. Call it the Lori Leaf. The Lori. Oh, all right, there you go. I'm Lori, trademarking I'll, that now. The Lori uh, Leaf. Yeah, you better get your lawyer working on that. <laughs> I. Uh, uh, there was an article in Today Sun Times where I'm not making this up. Uh, the restaurant lobby was saying they didn't want marijuana sold, uh, which I thought was preposterous. Okay, I'm not an expert in marijuana, but it's been known to uh, make people hungry. So you think the last people that would complain about marijuana would be the restaurant owner? It's a very bizarre story, right? It just like doesn't make any sense on any level. And and I think <laughs> the other thing about this too is that she also is not going to make the medical dispensaries have to get zoning approvals or new licensing moving forward either. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, under the state law, they get two new yes licenses to go with it. So I don't know if that's covered under her zoning. So you're going to have a medical person, a medical dispensary with two new retail dispensary licenses without having to get zoning approval as a result. I understand of, I, what you're saying. Yeah. Know, it's it's a whole They'd lot of grandfathered in. There's a lot of questions that have to be asked, but the, that, that primary one about the loop being family friendly and the, somehow other marijuana would violate that. I found very bizarre, but you're right. I hadn't thought about wait, the, the buried uh, notion is, ah, yeah, go let him go down to uh, Lopez's war to buy right. the reefer. Um, all right. And finally, uh, before we let you go, you came in saying there were some raids, immigration raids. Talk about that in your ward yesterday. Did you say uh, this morning? Oh, this so morning, this morning I started getting phone calls around eight thirty eight. 35 from some very panicked residents of mine in back of the yards. Um, apparently two individuals were pulled over in some sort of traffic stop by an, an ICE police officer, not a Chicago officer, an ICE officer. And apparently they had some outstanding warrants taken into custody, haven't been seen since. What I find very disturbing is that there's videos going around right now of about six or seven squad cars that were on the block also in all directions, like boxing everybody in. And it's come to my attention that the federal agent, when he identified the individuals that he was looking for, put out a call over the radio for law enforcement needs assistance. It's kind of like a backdoor way of getting police to show up because Chicago does not support ICE mm -hmm. raids or do any of those kind of things. But when you call law enforcement and say, basically officer, almost like an officer down kind of situation. They're going to come and show up in force because they think another one of their brothers or sisters is in trouble. Mm -hmm. And now you're putting Chicago police in a bad light. You're making it look like we're helping participate. So I've reached out to the uh, superintendent as well as the head of OEMC to investigate and get back to me to see, is this part of a larger pattern that we're seeing? Because the last thing I want is Trump's racist deporter agents out there using this call for help among the, the law enforcement community 
as a backdoor way of getting them to show up to help be their backup for when they're trying to do this. It's not right. If you want to go and go look for deportation warrants, go do it on your own. Mm -hmm. Don't be lying to our police. Don't be lying to our communities. And most of all, don't be making our officers look bad when they're really not trying to be a part of any of this immigration stuff. They want nothing to do with it, but yet they're being dragged in by these fake calls for assistance, in my view, and putting everybody in discrediting a lot of our work to build trust in the neighborhoods. You mentioned Trump. The last question I'll ask for you is this. He sucks. Uh, okay, there, there you go. I didn't answer that question. I didn't even get to the question. That's correct. Uh, that is correct, Robert Mueller. Uh, and uh, uh, Trump gave a speech. We've talked about this on the show uh, last week. He gave a speech in, in New Mexico last week uh, where he was branching out to pick up Hispanic voters. I'm not making this up. He actually said this speech is going to help him build uh, support among Hispanic voters. Uh, and and then he when he just started denouncing criminals coming across the border and oh, how he thought that was going to help him get. But whatever, that's his. You know. That's a stick. Do you sense in any way? Just curious about this. The people mm-hmm. in your ward, in your neck of the woods, particularly the you have a, his uh, folks. You should know this, uh, Ray Lopez's ward. There's like one section that's heavily uh, black, and there's a section that's heavily Mexican American. Uh, it's probably the most. Uh, integrated ward, I would say, and not in the same sections, but at least when you put them together. In the same border. Yeah, uh, within the same confines of the 15th. Um, do you have a sense that that rhetoric of Trump plays well, or, or is it just fantasy in Trump's mind that he thinks he can pick up Hispanic voters by de- denouncing Mexican immigrants? You know what I find amazing, personally, is that I know children of Mexican descendants like myself who are in full support of everything Trump says, whose grandparents were immigrants, might have come here without papers or whatever, and their parents became citizens, their grandchildren are now citizens, second generation, and Trump supporters. It's mind-blowing to me that they, they would have such, take such a regard and say, well, yeah, they should all go back, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that. you're talking about your grandparents, basically. You're talking about the people who came here, risked it all so that your mom and you can have a better life in this country and you're willing to just say lock them up throw them out cages are fine do do what you got to do it's amazing that there are people out there like that i don't understand it because we all come from somewhere we all start somewhere and you know you might not like how people come here but they're here and you got to deal with it but particularly when it comes to the mexican community and the descendants of mexican immigrants you know it just boggles my mind yeah. that there are people like that well, I got to tell you, I, my bet would be that if, if you, you had some way of looking, and you could by just looking at the 15th Ward, the Trump support in the Hispanic side of the tracks will be higher than the Trump support on the black side of the tracks. I don't think there's very few black people that fall for that rhetoric. But um, Well, you'd be surprised, too, because therein, too, you also have a, a segment of the black community that appeals to the Trump rhetoric because they somehow feel that it's the undocumented, it's the quote-unquote illegals that are keeping them from their place moving forward. And if all you do is ever play to f- people's fears on all sides, mm-hmm. doesn't matter what color you are. We see it with the white nationalists. You see it with people who are suffering from unemployment. You see it with people afraid of, el- of gays and lesbians. You know, we're so evil. You know, if you keep playing on those fears, it doesn't matter what he's saying because you're just tapping that button that says, you know what, you're right to be scared. They're coming for you. However you frame it. Fair enough. Then the the, 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 the 
the bet will leave. We'll make two bets. I already won the first bet. Uh, <laughs> there's no way the 15th Ward is going to get $1.3 billion in this century. Okay. <laughs> Hopkins got it in one deal. I'm, on a, mis- to- I'm on a mission. Though, uh, yeah, you can I'm- add up. I'll let you add up the entire Southwest <laughs> side. You can throw the 19th Ward in there, the 14th Ward. Hopkins still got you. Come on, Hopkins. <laughs> kick a little back to the 15th. Stop hoarding it. Anyway, uh, that's the first bet. And the second bet is I don't believe the Black Ward's uh, precincts in your ward got Trump got more than two percent of the vote in the last time. If I took, we're going to take a bet. Because uh, you can do that in the fifteenth ward, you know what I'm saying? I'll pull it up right now. <laughs> oh my man! <laughs> he's got to call me out. Right? And while Raylo pulls that up, we do have some breaking news to talk about. Oh. Something that's happened as uh, we've been doing the show here. What's that? Ben, you're going to love this. You may have to write another love letter to her. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is expected in moments to announce a formal impeachment inquiry later today. Multiple sources on Capitol Hill tell CNN. Whoa, that is breaking news. Thank you for breaking that. Wow, we're about to go off the air, but you know Monroe's going to be ready to talk about that. Yeah, we got a lot of Trump news to unpack tomorrow. Let's Uh, throw that on there as well. You know, I was even then everybody knows that I've been I've defending Nancy Pelosi forever and taking a lot of heat for it from my tell us your thoughts on Pelosi. I love you. <laughs> it's pretty, but it's true. I like Nancy Pelosi. I put it out there. But I was starting to waver, D, over the weekend. I didn't tell you this. I was like, come on, Pelosi. Hurry up with this impeachment thing. You're too cautious, especially as the story broke about Whistleblower Gate, which is surreal, where he's calling up the president of Ukraine saying, hey, give me the dirt on Biden. <laughs> this guy is your political op. Oh, here we go. All right. So I hate to break into the Pelosi love fest here but <laughs> well it's actually sort of but so the crazy thing is as i'm looking at my results uh-huh. um less than one percent of the black vote in my ward went to trump I told you. on average five percent in the latino precinct wow dang i was even more right than i thought less than one percent Ray, please say that one more time so everybody out there can hear that. Less than 1% of the black vote went for Donnie Trump. in the, And they're like 99% black. Uh, those, those precincts are overwhelmingly African-American. Yes. And by the Less way, than you, 1%. But then the Latino precincts, uh, on average, between 4 to 6% for Trump. So they didn't vote for him either. But they still voted more for him. They still got 5% that just don't... You know, I'm like telling you, cockroaches I, for raid. What can we say? Uh, that's that's sad. Actually, that is sad. That is sad. That's because he was no less racist when he was running than he is when he's ruling. The first thing he did when he came down the escalator, when he announced he was, he went right after. Mm-hmm. He made it clear. So, anyway, I won that bet. You know what? We'll, we'll still work on the billion we'll, one. The I'm, billion. All right, I got my hopes up. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> uh, we'll get an honest budget before you get that one point three billion. <laughs> that is for sure. Ray Lopez, it's a blast talking politics. Yes, to you, always. That's billion with a B. <laughs> thank you for clarifying that. I can there. have nightmares now. <laughs> uh, anyway, I also want to thank Maya for stopping in, and Doctor D. You're the man. You're the myth. You're the legend. You're the pride of joy in all Illinois. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs> Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and Benny J. Bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash pages forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download podcasts. 
Downloaders, you know we live stream this show. Yes, it's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times, at Chicago Reader websites, the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. And we're now on Facebook. Facebook Live at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Find the page, give it a like, follow, share, review, whatever you want to do. We'll see you tomorrow.